Well, I want to share a real struggle with you that I experienced this week. And uh, it's almost a little bit embarrassing, a little bit uh, of eating humble pie, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of uh, anger. Um, yeah, it was a crazy week on this one particular topic. As I said last week, sometimes we as pastors, uh, we, get the, uh, we jump on an idea and we preach about it because God's laid it on our heart to preach about it. But sometimes it's easier to preach about it and not really be able to fulfill it in your own life. Anybody ever had that idea thought before? Well, that sounds great, Pastor, in theory. <laughs> no, but it's one of those deals where I know for me, over the last several years, I've taken classes that I thought would help me as a person grow in my walk with God, that would help me to grow as a pastor. Over the last several years, I've made myself accountable to other pastoral coaches, other people who have been in ministry longer than me, other people that can teach me certain aspects of ministry, because I feel like we're never too old to learn, right? We're never too old to grow. And I honestly believe that if you're not growing, you're not standing still, you're regressing. Um, I was sharing that in Sunday school this morning, that I can remember when I came out of college, uh, one of my hobbies was computers. And uh, someone say, I'd want to build a computer. Well, the best computer I ever had was the one I built because it lasted longer and did better. And but you remember the days of the 486 DX2? I mean, we were, we were flying by with a 20 megabyte hard drive. I mean, we, we thought we had it all, right? Some of you that remember the, the 486s. And, uh, but I remember uh, walking into the first ministry I was a part of, and Pastor said, hey, we need a network, and we need everything to work together. I go, oh, no problem, got this. Set up, you know, about eight computers across the church and run all the wires and cables. And then I quit doing it for three or four years. And all of a sudden you come back, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't seen this new stuff. You see what I'm saying? When you quit using what you have, you actually don't just sit still. You get behind. Listen to me. If you're not growing, you're regressing. Did you hear that? If you're not moving forward, you're not standing still. You're regressing and going backwards. It happens in almost every field. What happens if I only worked on cars that were pre uh electronic ignition or pre-automated carburetors, but didn't worry about learning all the computerized new stuff, you'd be lost as a mechanic. Why is it any different with our faith and our walk with God? We say, well, it's not. Then what are we doing to make it different? I know that for me as a pastor, oftentimes churches take on the characteristics of their pastor. And if I struggle in an area, most likely you're going to struggle in an area. If I'm flamboyant in an area, most likely you're going to be a flamboyant in an area. Because over a period of time, a lot of churches take on some of the characteristics of their pastor, which is really scary. People come around and say, oh, Pastor, you've never met a stranger. That's right. I, I kind of have that personality. I've talked to anybody. You know, see the guy at the Wegmans and, yeah, act like I've known him for 30 years. We're having a great old conversation. And I come to church, and after a couple of years, it's 1.30, and some of y'all still won't get out of the doors. That's why, because we've learned to talk and to fellowship, and you've taken on that personality. That wasn't the case when I first got here. But you've grown in those areas. You've grown in the areas that I'm growing in. You struggle in some of the areas that I struggle in. 
And part of that comes out through what I talk about. So one of the things that I have been really struggling with over the last couple of years as a church, and people ask me all the time, hey, how's your church? Well, first of all, it's not my church, it's God's, and it's our church. We ought to be contributing to it and making it a part of who we are and part of our life. But my pet answer is, a lot, oftentimes, is everyone's okay. Not great, not excellent, not phenomenal, but okay. I mean, nobody's fighting with each other, right? I mean, is anybody just like ticked off to high heaven at someone else across the aisle? I don't think so. I think if it was the case, I would hear about it. But we have a great spirit. We have a great unity. We work in consensus and we go forward together. There's a great spirit in our church. But I said, we're all just okay. Because we see everything that's just taking place and there's nothing really bad but neither is there anything just really phenomenal. We're just satisfied, content. And that's not saying that we don't have people not walking with God. I'm not saying that. I'm really honestly not saying that. Because I know that there are many of you that are walking with the Lord. We're really good at not doing the sins of commission. I mean, nobody's killed anybody lately that I know in our congregation is good. Nobody's like stealing from the other person when they're not home because they know they never locked their door. I mean, we have a great, great group. But what about the sins of omission? And I've been talking about it almost all summer. How are we doing with sharing our faith? How are we doing about talking about talking to our neighbors about God and what God's doing in our lives? How are we doing with that? And so one of my challenges this year is I said, I'm going to do everything I can in my own life to grow in that area so that I can in turn help you grow in that area. And I'm honest with you, I struggled all week with this, and it ticked me off. It really just irritated me to high heaven. I was angry about it. Because this week I made it a point that I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. I'm going to pass out tracts. I'm going to find an opportunity to witness. Hadn't I been talking about this for the last several weeks? Yeah. How many of us have actually taken it to heart? Now, don't get me wrong. A couple of you have said, I've talked to somebody. Praise God. A couple of you have come to me and said, hey, Pastor, I had an opportunity. That's sweet. That's awesome. I'm encouraged. Really excited about that. But in my own life, I'm just irritated. Because I can't tell you how many times my wife has witnessed, I put a nice stack of variety of tracks in my truck. And I've determined that every time I step out of my truck, I'm going to take one with me. But then I get sidetracked. Now, don't get me wrong. I got a few tracks passed out this week. Did I get the conversations I wanted? No, I didn't. Can God still use it? Yes, he can, and maybe he will. I pray that he does. But I'm just telling you, this whole week, probably more so than any other part of my life, I was frustrated because I didn't get the opportunities that I wanted. It irritated me because I wanted so desperately to share my faith with somebody. And I just couldn't make it happen the way I wanted it to. Now, there's always going to be somebody that's after the service going to come up to me and say, Pastor, I understand. It's not that big a deal. God understands. No, he doesn't. I mean, no, don't, don't, don't give me that pat answer today. I don't want it. I want to live with the tension of I should look for the opportunities. And I hope you do too. 
I hope you have a holy tension. You understand what I'm saying? A tension that says, I should be doing this. And it's in your mind and you can't escape it. I hope you have that kind of attention. That when you see people that you don't know that it's at least running through your mind, that you should probably say something. You should invite them to church. You should say, hey, you know, let me tell you what changed my life. Hey, what do you think about the afterlife? What do you think? I mean, there's a million and one questions. It ought to be running through our minds at least a little bit, right? Yeah, thank you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here for a minute. It ought to be running through our minds. And, I, and I, I'm telling you, there have been so many people say, well, pastor, it's just not my spiritual gift. It might be yours, but it's not mine. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. Nothing. You may disagree with me all you want, but God's Word has commanded it. He didn't just say this was a good idea. He did not just say, well, this is probably something you should might want to think about doing in some point in your walk with me. He says, I want you to share about me. And if we don't do it, it's a matter of sin. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin. And the reality is, is that if we don't take it to heart, there are people all around us who are dying and going to hell. And right now, you and I live in the most unchristian area of the United States. 67 million unchurched, unsaved people in the Northeast. Is it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. I experienced this week, like no other, the frustration of wanting to do something but not being able to do it effectively. We have got to start praying more and harder than ever before to share our faith. And you say, why am I jumping all over this? Because it's frustrating to not be able to do something that God has laid on our heart to do and not see results. And therefore I say, we cannot control the outcome, but we must make the effort to share our faith. We must plant the seeds. I will first be the first one to admit that there are some people whose personality makes it easier than others. I'm probably better suited for a personality as a personality that never met a stranger than somebody who's much more shy or timid. I understand that. I really do. But I asked this question last week as we ended. What would happen if every one of us, just every one of us in this room, we're all adults, we're all you know, people with brains and, and personalities and lives and a heart beating heart that, that, that you're alive. But what happened if every one of us in this room just said, God, give me one. Just one. Just one over the next year. God, give me one person that I can impact. One person that I can influence. One person that I can point to you. One person that I could disciple. What would happen to this place? Amen. Thank you. Somebody say amen. The bottom line is we fill every seat. Is it about building this church up so it gets bigger? No, it is not. It is not about how big our church can get. It's about being obedient to the gospel. It's about sharing our faith. It is about doing what God has asked us to do. We're really good at doing some things, but we're terrible at others. We've treated Christianity as a smorgasbord of, of do's and don'ts and what's convenient, what's not convenient, what's appropriate, what's not. And we've, we've made Christianity all about what's my opinion or my preference or what I think rather than what God has commanded us to do and to be. So the bottom line is we have got to get back to this book and do what God has called us to do. And I'm telling you, the harder you try to, the more you make a commitment to do it, the harder Satan fights. 
I have said that for years. That every time I walk away from hearing a challenging message in my own heart where, where God has used somebody, some other preacher to challenge me and I make a decision, the bottom line is every time I make a decision, it's like Satan sends all of his minions after me. I'm telling you, I, I don't like going to marriage conferences anymore. I go to a marriage conference and say, man, I need to be a better man. I need to be a better husband. Don't you know that's our biggest fights after a stinking marriage conference? I'm telling you, is it truth? I don't care who you are. The more decisions you make for God, it's, when you make a decision in an area, Satan will fight. He does not want you to go uncontested and, and do live for God. You make a decision to be a soul winner. Bottom line is Satan's going to give you every obstacle and every excuse and every rational idea as to why you shouldn't or can't do it or don't want to do it or whatever. He is going to fight. You have to know that. You make a decision to be a better husband, Satan's going to fight. You make a decision to be more committed, Satan's going to fight. I'm just telling you, it's the way it works. He's like, oh, you want to make a better commitment? You want to take another step? <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, don't, Trust me, Satan's not everywhere, but his minions are. I'm just telling you, you make a commitment, it ain't going to go unopposed. So my my, my my question has always been my own self. What's holding me back? What's holding me back? But I'm telling you, it was frustrating this week. It was frustrating. But you know what encouraged me? I've been watching the chapel service at the school that I'm taking some online classes on. They have Testimony Tuesday. And so Tuesday, I tuned into chapel, and I was watching it, and there's all these students who are sharing what God did in their ministries over the weekend. Different people that God gave, and it just gave me encouragement. It gave me hope. It gave me a little bit of, hey, Ken, you can do this. Just keep working at it. Don't give up. Don't stop. And so this week, I turned on YouTube, and I'm some of the greatest soul owners I know, the, the people who train people to share their faith, and just and you say, well, that, there's, there's such a thing. that Yeah, because we need to grow. And there are people who are really good at it and other people who just don't care about it. But one of the greatest owners I know in this present day age is Greg Laurie. And Greg Laurie trains people how to share their faith on a day-to-day basis. I watched about eight of his videos this week because I was in my office cleaning. And God knows that needed to be done. But I want to learn. I want to grow. But I don't want to just learn and grow. I want to do. Because if we're just hearers of the word and not doers, we what? deceive ourselves and some of us think we're better than we really are let's be honest I haven't gotten to the message yet what are you willing to do to make this a reality in your life what are you willing to sacrifice because here's what I found out this week as I'm sitting there going through yes I got a couple tracks out yes I had to be able to say a couple encouraging things and invite people to church I, I, I was able to do that but I came back to myself and I said what was the biggest hindrance in my own life. And you know what kept coming in my mind? You quit going to the fitness club. You quit doing this. You quit doing that. And guess what? There's where the people were. I'm just telling you folks, if you're waiting for someone to come to church so that you can finally witness to them, you might be waiting a long time. You might be waiting a lifetime. Go to where they're at. Jesus didn't sit around and say, well, I'm just going to sit here on the side of this mountain and just kind of wait for the whole world to come to me. He trained just a handful of people and said, go. Go. Get the words, go? What's it mean? Go. (laughs) Pretty simple, huh? He said, go. Because you can't wait for the unsaved world to come to you. You have to go to where they're at. 
And that means for some of us to leave your comfort zones. For some of you, it means to get up off the chair and shut the TV off and get involved in something else in life other than your comfort. Shut it off. Turn it down. Walk away. Find out where people are and become a part of their life. My greatest opportunities were when I was going to Planet Fitness and LA Fitness. Those were where people were at who were trying to make life better for themselves. There's where people were talking in the rooms as we were getting ready to go work out. Those were the people that we're getting to know on a regular basis. And when I stopped doing that, guess what? The conversation stopped. And we can all justify it, rationalize it, excuse it away as to why we shouldn't be a part of that or why we're not a part of that. I know so many people that... I know, I have several friends. They go to football games every Friday night. They have no kids in the game. They have no dog in the fight. They go and run the concession stand for one reason. Opportunity. Where can you go? What can you do? What can you become a part of? All for the sake of the opportunity. Think about it. I'm just telling you. You got to go. You can't sit and stay. You got to go, not sit and stay. John 4. John 4, and this is one of my favorite stories. I talk about it. I haven't preached on it much, but I talk about it a lot. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background in John chapter 4, just from the obvious. To give you a little piece of the obvious here. Let me begin reading verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the wall. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it was that says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again, or will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come to her, come here to draw. Let me stop right there. Let me just give you a couple of things from the background of what we've read. First of all, the woman probably lived a rough life. You say, well, how in the world can you possibly know that? Well, Scripture gives us many indications, but obviously she had made several poor decisions in her life. I don't know how old she was at this point. Uh, I do know that it was a list of poor decisions she has gone through. She was currently in a sinful, immoral relationship. And let me just say this. 
For some of the younger ones, it is never easier to live with someone before you get married to them. Let me just tell you, statistically, couples that live together before they are married are two and a half times more likely to divorce than others. That's proven fact. That's statistics. So it's not easier and it's not right. And God says to avoid the appearance of evil. But currently, she's living with a man who's not her husband. But probably by this point, her hard life might have made her appearance aged, weathered. And some of you know what I mean by that. If you've ever met somebody who's lived a hard life, you know how it ages them, makes them look older than they are. But I can imagine, at least I'm certain in my mind, that she was not living the life that she had imagined. I don't think for a moment that this young lady or older lady, wherever she is in life, I don't think for a moment that she said, wow, I'm finally old enough to be out of the house. I'm going to go out and live on my own. And I want to have five marriages and divorces and men and, and men in, in between them are live, live, live with and check up with. I don't think anybody sets up with that intention, right? My guess is that she never planned the life that she was living. She probably never thought early on that one day I'm just going to go through guys like water. That was not her intention. I'm certain of it. But it is the case that she finds herself in now. But let me just, after the background, let me just tell you a little bit something about Jesus. Verse 4. Verse 3, actually. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Samaria. Let me just tell you the first thing about Jesus that I know in this sex is that his, in, his destination was intentional. It was intentional. He needed to go through Samaria. It was intentional. Jesus intentionally went somewhere. Yes, he is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. And he knew what was awaiting there. But the bottom line is, he didn't wait for the lady of Samaria to come to him or Sychar to come to him. He went to where she was. And he says, I'm going to Samaria to get to where I need to go. It was intentional. Let me just make this point with this. Our witness, our evangelism, the sharing of our faith must be what? Intentional. Because if you just wait for it to happen, all of us are going to be waiting a long, long time. It's got to be intentional, folks. So, they used to say in leadership classes, uh, failure to plan is a plan to fail. Failure to plan is a plan to fail. So, we must be intentional. We must plan and be prepared to share our faith. Isn't that what God's Word says? Always be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. How can we be ready? Have a tract with you. Have something to put in someone's hand. Be ready with a, an answer to a, a remark of struggle or something that someone's going through. Be ready. But if you don't plan to be ready, you won't be ready. Our sharing of our faith must be intentional. And even still, it's hard at times. But he needed to go through Samaria. He said, well, what's the big deal about him going to Samaria? Well, if you've never heard the stories growing up and heard 10,000 other preachers talk about it, Samaritans had nothing to do with Jewish people. Period. 
The Jewish people looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. They weren't all there. They're a couple fries short of a happy meal. They, they, they're just lesser than us. They just don't deserve what we deserve. We don't have no dealings with them. And you can imagine just for a moment why this Samaritan woman might have been puzzled by what she was experiencing. Verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's puzzled by this. Why in the world are you talking to me? Let me just ask you this question. Do you think the world around us who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ might be a little bit puzzled? Huh? Yeah. Does that stop Jesus? No. Let me just give you a little secret. It didn't stop him. He just kept going. Which ought to teach us something. Just because the world doesn't understand doesn't mean we don't do it. And trust me, we all have a million excuses and a million reasons why we don't or can't or shouldn't or whatever. But what Jesus shows us here is that we must be intentional and we must keep going even though the world around us doesn't understand. Can I just say this again? And I don't, I, I'm saying it to remind myself. If it applies to you, great, wonderful. If it doesn't, tuck it away and crumple it up later and throw it away. But I have to remind myself that the world around me, apart from Jesus Christ, is going to die and go to hell. Do we care? Do we care? Do we care enough to change? You've heard me say this before, is compassion without action is just empathy. Compassion requires action. Or it's not compassion. You say, well, I care about people dying and going to hell. No, because compassion leads to action. If there's no action, there's no compassion. An integral part of compassion is action. Do we care that the world is dying and going to hell? Can I just say this? Join a club. Say, well, I can't afford that. Go walk, go to the dog kennel or the dog parks and just sit down and talk because trust me, dog owners want to yak about their dogs all day long because how their dog is better than your dog and the dog you don't have. Find some place to go. Find something to do. Go sit at Eastview Mall. Go sit at the, at the mall up the road here and just sit in the middle. I, one of the funnest things I used to do when I was younger was just sit and watch people walk by. It's hilarious. It's awesome. You get, you get, world's funniest home videos. You just have your phone out anymore. It's just hilarious. You'll see all kinds of people. All kinds of weird things going on. Get out of your house. Get off the chair. Turn it off. Turn it down. Walk away. Do something that gets you out where people are. But here's what I found. When you go up there and you sit, other people are sitting too. Simple conversation. Five minutes of, hey, how's your day going? You might get a real answer sometimes. Matt was talking to a guy over here that runs a bike club, or a bike, uh, one of those skating park type things. Matt opened the door and just said, hey, how's it going? Boy, he got an earful. People talk. People want to know that someone cares. People want to know that <laughs> this week I had one opportunity let me share it to you guy 
talked to, uh, he's taking care of some property for the Finger Lakes Baptist Association. And uh, I said, how are you doing? Oh, for the next 15 minutes, I got everything that has ever gone wrong in his life. And I said, can I pray for you right here on the phone? He goes, sure. Then he thanked me for it. And then he said, or then I said to him, I said, let me ask you a question. Last week when I talked to you, I said I was going to pray for you. I said, I want you to know I did pray for you. I said, as you called me this week, I prayed for you again on the phone, and you thanked me for praying for you. I said, I don't want to assume anything, but assuming that I prayed for you and you thanked me for praying for you, I don't want to assume that you're, are you a Christian? He goes, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. You know, in my mind, that tells us something, right? Here's a guy who's unsaved, unchurched, thanking me for praying for him. Isn't that crazy? Why do they care? Why would, why, why would they care? Really? Because somebody was expressing a form of what? Care. And so I asked him, I said, would you be interested in going to church? He goes, ah, I don't know right now. He goes, I'm not really sure. He goes, life is just pretty messed up. He said, my my girlfriend of three years just kicked me out and uh, things are rough and I said well it might be an opportunity for a new start with God in your life he goes maybe he goes well I gotta go it's okay seed planted doors open for the next conversation which I will definitely have because I have a relationship with him because of what he does for the finger lakes every day is an opportunity it would have been really easy to not have that conversation. It would have been convenient not to have the conversation. It would have been a whole lot less of my time. Because trust me, we all have five things that we're working on when this phone call comes in, right? Does anybody not? <sighs> okay, I got a decision to make. And it's instantaneous. Who was in the truck with me the other day? And it called. I'm like, oh. Okay. I had to gear up. It happens. And if you're not operating with discernment, you'll miss the opportunities. You'll miss those just moments that God gives you. And you have to decide in a moment whether or not you're going to respond in the spirit or in the flesh. It just takes a moment. So let me give you three C's about sharing our faith. And I didn't know how to translate the first C, so I give you two C's for the first one. The conversation or common ground is the first one. Common ground or conversation. I want you to notice how Jesus approached her. He's there at the well, and as he's sitting there waiting for her to come, knowing she'd be there, right? He's God in the flesh. He had to go through Samaria I want you to notice what Jesus did not do. He, Jesus didn't say, <laughs> here she comes, hope she's ready. Woo! And then soon she comes. Woman, do I have got some news for you. Let me just tell you how, how messed up your life really is. I mean, good Lord, you got... You got, you got five husbands that you've been divorced from and you're living with a guy now? You are screwed up, woman. I mean to tell you, you've got some things to consider. 
Is that, is that what Jesus did? But how many of us in our minds do that to the people around us? Come on. Man, they're, they're sitting there because of their own stupid choices. Yep. They're in that mess because they just don't listen to anybody. Yep. They've gone through this problem because I tried to help them. They wouldn't listen. Yep. And we criticize and judge. May not say it, but we're thinking it. Don't sit there and say, I've never done that. Because we all have done it. We do it every time we pass somebody on the street. Now, are they one of these professional beggars that will go home and change clothes after they're done? Or, And chances are, you'll never know because you won't ever talk to them. He didn't sit there and condemn her. He just simply asked for water. He said, what's the big deal about asking for water? There's common ground for a conversation. Common ground. She went there for water. He's there for water. They have a common interest. Let me just say, there are people all around you that you have things in common with. Some of you that have grandkids, guess what? You have in common with other people who have grandkids. Grandkids. I don't have grandkids. I can't relate. I don't know what it's like to have a grandkid. I don't have one. But some of you got several. And I know you got pictures on your phone, you got pictures in your wallet, and you got pictures in your purse, and every grandma wants to show everything off about their grandkids, right? Talk to someone else. Find common ground. Does anyone in this room never go through a struggle? Does anyone in this room not have somebody that you're close to go through a cancer? Does anyone in this room not have somebody that you don't have some type of situation that's in common with someone else? first thing that Jesus teaches us here is that there's common ground here. And the common ground leads to a conversation. Some people are remarkable grasp for the obvious. They drink too much. That's remarkable grasp for the obvious when they're that far gone. <laughs> or, you know how much they smoke? Do you realize what they could be buying if they didn't buy cigarettes every week? And boy, they, they don't realize how much they smell because they smoke. You have a grasp for the obvious. You're good. Or they're liars. They always lie. Every time I'm around them, I'm hearing another lie about somebody. Or they're really liberal in their thinking. They must be Democrat. Let me just say this. Regardless of whatever it is that you're obviously noticing... Do you expect anything else from a person who hasn't given their life to Christ? They're going to be doing things that you wouldn't do. They have problems in their life that you maybe don't have because of choices that they've made that would be different than the choices you've made. But that's the world around us. And Jesus didn't attack her past. He knew of it. It came out in conversation. But he didn't attack her. This week I was on watching one of my Facebook friends who does street preaching every week. And I told my wife, I said, I don't understand what this guy's trying to accomplish. Don't get me wrong. I'm not the Holy Spirit police and I don't tell him what to do and what not to do. But he's standing on a box on a street and people are avoiding him like the plague. And as a couple people came by, they kind of sneered at him 
goes, that's right, that's why this world has AIDS, because of guys like you. And I'm thinking, really? Is that, is that The world has AIDS because of guys like you who sneer at a guy who's screaming at the top of his lungs that he's a sinner. Let me just say, there's a place for preaching, and there's a place for proclaiming. Preaching is teaching. Proclaiming is giving the good news. But standing up yelling at somebody, saying that they're the reason for AIDS in the world, is going to do nothing to bring them to Christ. Jesus didn't condemn her. He gave her truth. So, common ground. Number two, cues in the conversation. Listen for cues. You understand what I'm saying? You're talking to somebody and they're, all of a sudden the conversation changes into daily life, but all of a sudden about a major struggle that they're about to face or in the middle of. Look for the cues. So common ground in the conversation, now cues in the conversation. The woman is curious now. 9 through 11. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says you give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. When do you get that living water? Where then do you get that living water? (laughs) Jesus is listening to what she's saying. And here's what she says. I'm going to give you water. And the woman says, you're going to give me water? You don't even have a rope and a bucket. How are you going to give me water? I mean, I'm the one here that you're saying to give me water to. Now you're saying you're going to give me water? You don't even have a rope and a bucket. Jesus is pretty smart, I think. He kind of picks up with where she's going with this. And, and, and here's the other thing. He didn't even just ask me for water. Here's the cue, verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? I mean, she's starting to ask questions, right? Because what happens when you have a conversation? Questions are asked. And Jesus is picking up on these questions. He says, I'm going to give you living water. And she's like, you don't even have a rope. And are you saying that you're better? Wait, wait a minute. Jacob gave us this well. Are you better than him? And Jesus is just listening. He didn't jump back at her down her throat. He just simply kept the conversation moving forward. The woman's beginning to think. The wheels are turning. And Jesus continues knowing that she's curious. And you see that in verses 13 and 14. It says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's beginning to teach her that what he has to offer is not physical. It's spiritual. And he says, you got to know that if you drink of this water, it's going to be like a well springing up. You're you're not going to know what to do with it. It's a well springing up inside you. You're going to have more excitement, more joy, more peace than than you've ever known before. And so it goes from common ground in the conversation 
So they're listening for cues in the conversation to critical moments in the conversation. What if Jesus would have said at that point, you know what, it's, it's kind of deep. I, you know, I really, I'm, I'm getting a little bit, it's getting a little bit late. Disciples are going to be back anytime. Why don't we pick this up another day and just kind of go from there? What if Jesus just would have stopped? He knew that she was at a critical moment in her life. Let me ask you a question. Do we know when we're going to die? <clears throat> Do we know? No. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. It may be tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now. But we don't know when we're going to die. And we don't know when Christ is going to come. So we need to look at the moments that Jesus gives us as critical moments. They're critical. How many times has someone shared their faith to someone on a dying hospital bed and moments after trusting Christ, they pass? I had one of those circumstances in my life where I shared the faith and it was just, you know, hours later, they passed. And I'm so thankful that we had those opportunities. In fact, twice that happened in my ministry. The one man couldn't even talk. I said, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, if you can understand what I'm saying, squeeze my hand twice. And I said, do you like to hear how, what it means to know Jesus Christ so that one day when you die, you spend eternity with him? I said, can I share it with you now? Went through the whole thing, and I led him in prayer. And I said, did you pray that prayer? Tears started to come down the corners of his eyes. He passed the next day. Critical moments. We need to look at the moments that God gives us as critical. Does it mean everyone you talk to is going to get saved? No, I wish that were the case. But it's not. It's not reality. But every moment is a moment to plant seeds. And here's a critical moment, and we find out what happened. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She still doesn't quite understand it all. And the woman said to him, um, verse, or sorry, verse 16, Then Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. And goes on, continues the conversation. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. How do we know that she made a decision? How do we know that she put her faith and trust in Christ? Because there's a critical moment that she's facing. And she's trying to reconcile what she knows versus what she's experiencing right here. Well, God's Word tells us that when she left, what happened? She came there for water, 
But you know what she left when she left? Her water pots. Because what was she doing? She went back to tell everybody what had just happened to her, which is the story. That's what we're going to be talking about next week, the story. He said, oh, great, pastor's going to talk about one more week. Yep. Because we all need to grow in this area. The story. I want you to turn to one more passage before we close. We're going to be here just for a few minutes. Acts chapter 9. Let me ask this question. As you're turning there, let me just read another verse before we get there. There's a couple verses I wanted to bring out this morning. One page in the middle here. When we said that Jesus did not attack her, Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't point out the obvious, though he did bring it up that she had had a rough life with several relationships. But Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. He says, let your words be gracious. You know how much it costs you to be nice? Nothing. You know how hard it is to be nice? It's hard for some people, but be nice. Speak kindly. Acts 9. I want us to think about this question before we look at the passage. Is sharing your faith going to be easy? Is it, is it going to be hard at times? Yeah, it is. Just know that. It is. But remember, as we said at the close of last week's, Acts 1.8, God's given you the power. Second Timothy, he says, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. He said, I've given you what you need to go forward. So, let me just tell you, when God told Ananias to go forward to meet Saul after his conversion or at his conversion, did he want to do it? Let me just answer you. No, he didn't. He didn't want to do it. Look at um, verses, well, beginning verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has, a man, has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. Let me ask you a question. Obvious answer. Did everybody know who Saul of Tarsus was? Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, wait a minute, God. Oh, 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 time out. Time out, God. You're sending me to Saul? And he's there praying? No, I must not, we, we must have the lines mixed up. Wrong, wrong guy, God. Time out. Because the Saul he knew wouldn't be praying. And if it was the Saul, he didn't want to meet with him. It's really easy to do the things that make sense. But one guy, what about when God asks you to do something that you can't reason in your mind? He still wants you to do it. Even though it may not make sense. 
Verse 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Hello, Lord, I'm one of your saints and I know that he doesn't like saints. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let me just give you two things about Ananias. Number one, he was afraid to do what God asked him to do. Is it okay to be afraid? Yes or no? Yeah, it's okay to be afraid. Fear is natural. Fear is normal. There are certain people that don't have fear. That's not normal. But most, for most of us, there's fear of something. One of the things that I was afraid of growing up was electricity. I like the benefits of it, but I don't want to touch it. I can remember one, two times in my life where it scared the bejiggers out of me, whatever that is. There was a broken light switch, and I went over to touch it, and all of a sudden I got zapped a good one. It made me like not want to touch a light switch for like two months as a kid. Turn the light on. No, not me. <laughs> I don't like getting zapped by electricity. The other time was when my mom asked me to change a light bulb in the refrigerator. Sounds easy enough for most people. I'm a little bit slower than some. I'm sitting there, took the old one out, right? Screw the new one in. Couldn't find the stinking hole. And I'm like, I, I, I was so frustrated I couldn't find it. So I put the bulb in my one hand and started feeling it with my hand found it felt like my blood was boiling I don't like electricity touching it anyway I like the effects of it but I don't want to touch it fear what are you afraid of rejection fear of not knowing what to say or how to say it maybe embarrassment what are they going to think of me they'll think I'm a holy roller better than thou a know-it-all. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of not having all the right answers. Or just simply fear of the unknown. I don't know how this is going to turn out and I'm just really nervous about it. Fear, it's okay to be afraid. But it's not okay to not obey. The first thing I know about Ananias is that he, had, he was afraid. But the second thing I know is that he obeyed God and was used of God to encourage this young man in his faith. What are you afraid of? What's hindering you? Can I just say, years ago, I, I was telling somebody this story this week. I can remember the first message I preached in front of my church. It was really, you know, for a 13-year-old kid, it was like, oh, I got, I got invited to preach at my church. Yeah, sweet, awesome. And it was a Sunday night, it was youth night, and I was sitting on the front row, and I was looking around, it's kind of like us on a Sunday morning, like, you know, it's, we start at 10.30, but it's like 10.40 in the middle of the second song, and people are starting to come in, so it was like half empty, just hint. Um, so, I'm sitting there on the front row, it's like half empty, it's like, I'm thinking, great, there's not very many, very many people here, and I'm talking to the kid next to me, and he's, you know, we're just shooting the breeze, because there's, you know, two of us preaching the night. And all of a sudden, it's my turn. He calls me, and I said, I turn around, and all of a sudden, the place was packed. I'm like, oh, good Lord. There's, there's, there's not even an open seat. This place is full. 
I've learned over the years that it doesn't bother me to see a full crowd. I've preached in churches that run 1,000, 1,200 in Indiana. That doesn't bother me. My fear now is not the crowd. My fear now is I make sure I say what God's Word says. But here's what I found out in the process. The more you do it, the more God helps you. The more you do it, the more comfortable you become. The more you practice, the easier it becomes. It's no different than sharing your faith. The more you do it, the more you practice, the more easy it will come. But you can't do it in your own strength. You have to do it in God's. Look for the opportunities. What's the fear that you have to overcome? What's the obstacle that you need to step over to say, God, use me? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to even do it? If you're not willing to do it, that has some serious complications. Serious effects. Because the him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. And God says, he who doesn't deal with sin, Proverbs 28, Isaiah 66, well, not going to prosper. God's not going to bless your life if you choose to disregard the commands that God has given you. That's, that's rough. I didn't say that. God said it. Are you willing to take the steps necessary to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? And as I close this morning, I ask you to pray for me in this area. I asked you last week, pray for me again this week. Satan's fighting. I want the opportunities. I want God to just speak to me clearly. Hey, talk to that person. I hope he does that. I hope he says, Ken, no, 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 no. Don't go that way. I'm telling you to go this way because there's someone right here I need you to speak with. I want those kinds of opportunities. But I promise you, if you're not praying for them, you're not looking for them, you won't find them. That's just fact. Right? I'm a little quiet this morning. See, you're trying to put me on a guilt trip? Nope. Nope. God will do that. But how does he want you to respond? Let's pray.